Thanks for checking out the Harvest Valley Church podcast. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are accepted. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages and challenges you. Now here is the Sunday AM message. good to be here. I love being in the house of the Lord. And, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll be very honest with you. I'm, I was, I struggled this week with, with preparing this message because uh, if you know anything about me, um, I, I, I have a tendency of wandering from my notes. And I don't do it intentionally. I just always believe it's the Spirit of the Lord doing it. And so if you find me doing that today, just would you trust the Lord this morning? And um, I want to just uh, give a shout out, a couple friends here, I seen, uh, I think Orlando and Angela, where you at? Some good friends of mine, thank you. And of course, Sean and Summer, Sean, uh, man, I, I love you, man, you're, a, you're just an incredible man of God. This guy has an incredible story of God's grace and God's mercy, and uh, what a testament he is to the body of Christ. Uh, would you pray with me this morning? Father, we just thank you right now, Lord. Lord, it's no small thing, God that we are gathered in your house. Lord, we recognize that the spirit of the Lord is here, that your presence is here. And we know that, God, without you, we can do nothing, but with you, we can do all things. And so I ask you now, Lord, in these next few moments, God, as we look into your word, God, I pray that your word that's living, that's alive, that it's sharper than a two-edged sword that penetrates dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow, that, God, that it would begin to change us from the inside out. Lord, we love you this morning. We know that, Lord, nothing happens without your hand, without your spirit moving. We love you today. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I'm going to take a quick drink here. So we're we're diving into our sixth week of life's healing choices. And um, and, uh, this week, the the number uh, number six choice we're going to be looking at is the relationship choice. The relationship choice. Um, when you came in this morning, you should have been given a, a pamphlet here. This is a kind of a, a guide for all of us to kind of go through. If you don't have one, can you just raise your hand? We can get an usher to get you one. All right, there's several hands here. Um, while they're passing that out, um, I believe this phrase is up on, uh, behind me. But one, something I want to bring to your attention regarding the relationship choice, because it's a little bit deceiving, to be honest with you. Um, because if you're thinking to yourself, the relationship choice is about how I can get me a man, it's not. Okay, or how I can get me a woman, it's not. Okay, it's not about necessarily making good choices. It's really more about repairing the relationships that you currently have. And so if we were to be honest with each other this morning, we all have a, a relationship or two or more that need, uh, uh, need repair or need some healing or need, need God to come in and move in it. And uh, in your pamphlet right below the relationship choice uh, subheading, I I think it's behind me, this is how it reads. It says, I evaluate all my relationships, offer forgiveness to those who hurt me, and make amends for harm I've done to others, except when doing so would harm them or others. And the only thing I would add to that is if it causes harm to you. In other words, you might be ready to make amends with somebody, but, but the reality is that if you do that, it may cause harm to you. And so in that moment, you got to use wisdom. And somebody say amen. And so the theme verse uh, for us this morning is found in Matthew chapter, seven, or Matthew chapter 5, verses 7 and 9. We know this as the Beatitudes. And Matthew 5, 7 reads, Blessed is the merciful, they shall receive mercy. How many of you are thankful for God's mercy this morning? And verse 9 says, Blessed... 
um, are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now, I really want to highlight one word out of verse 7, and it's the word mercy. And that word mercy is a Greek word, and it's elios. And what that word means is it actually means to have mercy or to be given mercy or to have pity or to have compassion. Okay, how many know we all of us at one point in time, we all need some mercy, we all need some compassion in our lives. Um, but one of the things that you could describe mercy at is, is this, it's defined this way. It is a love that responds to a need in you and I that we don't, that we're, that's unexpected or it is unmerited. So mercy could be defined that way, that it's love that comes to you and I that's both unexpected and it's unmerited. In other words, we didn't necessarily deserve it, but we received it anyway. We weren't looking for it, but it came to us anyway. And so when you think about it, mercy at its core is forgiveness. It's forgiveness. So this morning we're actually going to, when you talk about the relationship choice, we're actually going to be talking about forgiveness. That's a heavy topic. I don't know about you, but I know in my own personal life that I have areas of my life where I have relationships in my life that, that need forgiveness. I want, and and any, every one of us are in that same place. But we're going to look at forgiveness as it pertains to relationships. Somebody say relationships. Because you and I need to understand this, that undoubtedly in life you have already been either a recipient of mercy or you've been a a contributor or a distributor of mercy or forgiveness. Listen, I know that you are well-polished. I know that you are God's gift to the earth, and you are. That's another message for another day. And I know that you're altogether wonderful and altogether beautiful, and you have everything put together. I know that you pray. I know that you read the word. I know that you worship. I know that you do all of these things. But I want to tell you this morning that no one is exempt from the need of mercy. And no one is exempt from you demonstrating mercy into someone else's life. And so there will come a point in time in your life and my life when I will undoubtedly, I am going to hurt somebody. I'm going to offend somebody. I'm going to disappoint somebody. I'm going to be in a relationship and I will both either unintentionally or intentionally bring hurt in that relationship. And in that moment, I have a responsibility to extend the mercy of God. Mercy in and of itself is a gift. Forgiveness is a gift. Why do I say it's a gift? Because it has been, it, it's intended to be given freely and received freely. Think about that. The forgiveness is intended for us to give that away freely, no strings attached, and for you to receive it in the same manner. Now, one of the things in my short walk with God that I've been doing for almost 25 years, I think I begin to learn just a little tiny bit of what the character and the nature of God is like. And one of the things that I've learned is that next to God's love, relationship is one of the most important attributes of God in and of himself. The next to love, relationship in and of himself is one of the most important attributes of who he is. And so we have a responsibility, we have a call, we have a mandate as the church, as the body of Christ... To, to begin to demonstrate and emulate that very same characteristic, characteristic of God, and that is in relationship. God wants you and I to have relationship. He wants us to have healthy relationships. He wants us to have godly relationships. 
But what happens when the church has relationships that are fractured or they're broken or there's an offense or there's a hurt? What happens in that moment? Can I tell you that if the church leaves itself um, in a place of broken relationship, it has the propensity to disrupt and distract the very purpose and will of God for your life. I want you to think about that thought there. That, that unforgiveness has the ability to disrupt the very plan of God for your life. So when we harbor and we hold on to that, to that unforgiveness and we harbor and we hold on to that bitterness, something happens in our relationship with God. It begins to stifle us and we wonder why I can never get to the next level, Pastor Derek. Because we have, we have this area of our heart that has been broken and that has been wounded and is actually keeping us from moving forward in God. Can I just tell you this morning, the devil doesn't need to just keep you out of heaven to have victory over your life. Hear me. The devil doesn't just have to keep you out of heaven. In other words, you can go to heaven, and, he's, and he may be okay with that. But you know what? He can be just as successful if he can cause you to become idle in your relationship and your purpose with God. And the, one of the ways that he creates idleness in us is that he allows hurt to happen in a relationship, and we become offended. I know we don't necessarily always want to hear that, but the reality is that offense has the ability to stifle and cause idleness to happen in our life. Idleness is the, is the state or it's the condition of being lazy or inactive. Have you ever seen someone who's inactive? I see someone every day. Now, when I get home on the couch, I'm done at work. I'm like, I'm inactive. I'm done. There's some idleness happening right then and there. Okay. Understanding that, it causes us and it leads us to believe this, this thought and this truth here. That unresolved hurt leads to unforgiveness. And unforgiveness left unchecked leads to bitterness. And bitterness, if not dealt with, will lead you into bondage. Many of us today, we are only living a fraction of the life that God has intended. We're in bondage and we don't even know it. Because we have an offense that's happened in our life. And so what has happened is when that, that, when that transition happens in relationship, this is, what, this is what takes place. You've now moved from living impactful living in the kingdom into idle living in the natural. So you're no longer living impactfully for the kingdom. You're stuck in idleness in your natural living. And God is saying today, listen, I want to set you free from that way of thinking. I want to set you free from that hurt, that habit, or that hang-up. As I was um, studying, I was thinking about this word this week, and the Holy Spirit just does what he always does. He drops a bombshell on me and, and convicts me just so bad. And as I was thinking, meditating on this, this is what he said to me. He said, Charlie says, the reason why people find themselves living in places of unforgiveness is because they don't understand the value of relationship. Not that you don't understand relationship, but you don't understand the value that God places on relationship. See, we need to understand that we need to transition from this earthly perspective about relationships and realize that it's about an eternal calling in relationships. Relationships were meant to be eternal. Now, we have seasons where we have relationships with people. I'll use Pastor Derek as an example. What was it, 2008, you and I came into a relationship, and we started serving. I started serving together. We started serving together, and that season passed. And what happened? Almost 11 years later, God knocks on the door and said, hey, it's time to go back. Enter that to that relationship. Step back into that season. So 
But relationships were meant to be eternal. And one of the things as I was thinking about this is for us to understand and for us to understand the necessity, listen to me, the necessity of the church walking in forgiveness, we must first understand the value of relationship from God's perspective. From not from my perspective, from God's perspective, understanding that. And so with that, I want, uh, there's a scripture in Genesis chapter 1. I want to take it all the way back to the beginning. And the Bible says in Genesis 1 verse 26 and 27, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. The word image is the word similitude or means similar after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created male and female. He created them. Genesis 2-7, I don't think it's up there, but if it is, then it says, Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. So here's what's going on. God is doing what he always does. He's, he's, he's making something out of absolutely nothing. The creativity God is, is at work in the earth. It's, 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 the Bible says that it's void. It's full of darkness. There's, there's nothing. It's uninhabitable at that moment. And yet the spirit of God is brooding over the face of the earth. And God is in and himself beginning to, to release his spirit, release his anointing. All of a sudden he's hanging, he's hanging stars in the sky and he hangs the moon for, at night and the sun and the day. And, and all of a sudden the, the ground begins to teem with, with living water. It comes out and, and brush and there's animals and all these things. And, and in the midst of all of this wonderful Things that are happening, God is creating. He's, the creativity of God is in full display. And he realizes that there's something missing. He's missing something, and he realizes, hey, I got a wild idea. Let's make man. And the Holy Spirit's like, say what? Yeah, I want to make a man. I want to make him in our likeness. Okay, whatever you want, Father. And Jesus is like, I'm on board. And so what's he do? God, he he looks into the ground, and he grabs the dust, and he breathes himself into it, and man becomes a living being. Now, I want you to understand something about God, that God did not need relationship. In himself, he is relationship. God doesn't need anything. He's completely self-sufficient. He's all-sufficient. He lacks absolutely nothing. But I learned some of this, something this week, because, and this is why it's so important. I need you to hang with me just for a few minutes as I build this I understood this, that when God created humanity, and I watch this, when God created humanity, he created us within the parameters of his image. Because the Bible says, right, let us make man in what? In our image. And in the image of God, he made them, male and female. So we were created within the parameters of his image. Now watch this. And it is within the image of God that we see the perfection of what relationship was intended to be like. I don't know about y'all, but I would have said amen on that right there. And what happens is when we come into this, this reality, watch this. When we come into this reality, it is only when I understand, when I move from the understanding that, that my, when I view my relationship not from my image, but from the image of Christ, that I truly begin to understand the need to walk in forgiveness. So God creates Adam, and Adam is there. And, and for those of you who are single and you're looking for a husband, God gives a great outline here because he raises Adam. Adam has a relationship with God. He has a home. He lives in the garden. He has a job. He's, he's tending the needs of the animals and the naming the trees. So that's where you start with right there, okay? And so, and so, he's, so Adam is there, and, and God's just like, listen, all the animals, they all have somebody, but Adam doesn't have anything. And what does he do? He says, you know what? We need to make, we need to, this is what it says. He says, we need to make him a helper that's suitable or fit for him. And this is where, like, the magic happens, if I can say it that way. 
So what's God do? He puts Adam to sleep. Anybody else have a problem with that? Like, why, why you got to put him to sleep? You're God. And the only thing I can think of is that if Adam would have been awake, if God would try to produce him what he was trying to do, he would have messed it all up. So he gives him the Holy Ghost anesthesia, puts him out, right? Now watch this. Watch this. He puts him out, and the next thing that happens is this, that out of the side of Adam, he pulls out the greatest thing he would ever produce. Woman. He created woman. Come on. Out of the side of Adam, he creates the, the greatest thing that Adam would ever produce. He created woman. Now, all the women in the house should be saying amen at this point. And listen, here's why. Listen to me. Here's why. Because we're talking about the image of God. Adam's seen God only in one way in the image. He's only seen him. But all of a sudden, God produces Eve out of his side. And all of a sudden, what God did in Eve was he produced another side of the image of God that Adam needed to see. So when you talk about relationship, you're talking about the image of God. God in that moment just does the most outstanding, audacious thing, and he pulls out of Adam the greatest thing that he would ever produce. And sometimes I wonder, well, God, why do you do that? And the Holy Spirit, this is what he said to me, because I'm going to read it because I don't want to mess it up. The greatest thing that God produces in us is only brought forth in the rest he gives us. Come on, he put Adam to rest, and God produced in him Eve, another image, a sight of God. And not only that, he takes it one step further. Isn't interesting to me, that is a prophetic picture that out of the side of the first Adam would come the first bride. But out of the second Adam, Jesus came the second bride, the church. Come on, I'm laying it on you heavy this morning. I got to preach it like it's my last time. So we have to get this in our spirit, beloved, that forgiveness it's not just a choice, it's a mandate, it's a calling that's been placed on the church to live out. So now we're going to jump into our little pamphlet here. If you have it, there's the, the first section in your pamphlet says there's three reasons to forgive. Three reasons to forgive. And, and, the number, and the first one is this, that God has forgiven me. That's pretty cut and dry. God has forgiven me. It's, I mean, you can stop right there and say, well, you know, why should I forgive? Well, God just said, you know what, because he's forgiven you. Every one of us in this room have experienced the love and the grace of God. And if you haven't experienced that this morning, listen, you have an opportunity this morning to give your life to Jesus Christ and be born again. And that, and the God, that forgiveness that, that can wash away all your sin is available to you. And so God has forgiven me. That is why I should forgive. In Colossians chapter 3. Uh, verse 12 and 13 reads this way. It says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Verse 13. Bearing with one another, and if in, and if in one has complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also must forgive. So Paul is breaking it down to the church in Colossae. He's telling the ecclesia, the church there. And he's telling them, listen, I need you to understand something. That you need to begin to showcase the very characteristic of Christ by putting on Christ 
and through the action of forgiveness, which, which we ourselves have experienced. In other words, he said, listen, you're the holy ones of God. You're God's chosen people. You're the, one that been, you're the called out ones. You're the sent ones. And I need you to understand this reality that you need to exercise the same forgiveness that you yourself have experienced. It's Paul's reminder to us. I want to remind you this morning of a passage in 2 Corinthians 5.17 because this is another reason why we need to forgive. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul speaks says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. One of the other reasons you need to forgive is because you're not that old guy anymore, sir. You're not that, that old woman You're not that same old young man. You're not that same old young woman. Now that you're in Christ, now that the indwelling spirit of God lives in you, you are not that same person. The moment that you came into counter with the presence of the living God, he changed your life. He changed your mind. And he said, listen, you can't live the way you used to live. You can't act the way you used to act. You can't speak the way you used to speak. You can't think the way you used to think. I put a new nature in you. My God, is there someone this morning that you realize you've been born again? You have a new image. That you have a new creature in Christ, and you can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. Number two, resentment doesn't work. Resentment doesn't work. Anyone here ever resent anybody? Don't raise your hand. Resentment doesn't work. I looked up the word resentment, and uh, this is what it said. It is bitter indignation at having been treated unfairly. So instead of saying, you know, raise your hand if you have resentment, you could actually raise your hand and say, have you ever felt like you've been treated unfairly? And at that point, we would all raise our hand. Yeah, I've had, I've had something happen in my life where, man, I didn't deserve this. I wasn't looking for this. It just came. And, and man, I just feel so, I feel so embittered because I didn't deserve my hurt. You could describe it this way. It is the feelings of saying that I was wronged, I was hurt, I was mistreated, not on my own account. And so now what I've done is I've given myself permission to stay hurt, to stay angry, as long as I see it necessary. But listen to what happens. As a result of that, what, what happens is I refuse to let go of your sin, the person who hurt me, that offense. I refuse to let go of that sin. In so doing, I pick up sin by now by not allowing unforgiveness to produce in me a root of bitterness. So when we refuse to lay down and give up and say, God, I give this back to you. I I forgive that individual. Listen, if we're not careful, it will produce a root of bitterness. Hebrews 12, verse, chapter 12, verse 14 and 15, this is what it says. It says, strive for peace with everyone. Come on, someone... Stop me right there. How difficult is that? Strive for peace with everyone. I know some people that I just do not have peace with. And God is saying, I need you to do that, Charlie. I need you to live in that place. It's a characteristic of my nature. Live in peace with everyone. And he says, for the holiness, and for the holiness without no one will see the Lord. Verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Now watch this. And by it, many become defiled. Bitterness has the ability to defile your life. 
And some of us, we need to go back and begin to ask the Holy Spirit, enlighten my eyes that I might see so that I can take the axe to the root so that I can no longer be living in a life of defilement, but that I can live a life of purity and holiness. Number three, I will need forgiveness in the future. Somebody say amen. I will need forgiveness in the future. Undoubtedly, you should know this morning that when you walk out of this room today, out of this sanctuary, out of being in the presence of God, that there's going to be a moment when, you know what, you're going to need forgiveness in the future. Every single one of us, we're, we're going to have that experience. We're going to need that. And I want to read this uh, passage of Scripture found in, in Mark chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. And it's, I'm going to read it to you in the Amplified Version. And this is what it says. It says, whenever you stand praying... If you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Drop the issue. Let it go. Like the song. Let it go. I won't sing it to you. So that your father who is in heaven will also forgive your transgression and wrongdoings against him and others. But if you do not forgive, neither will your father in heaven forgive your transgressions. I'm going to tell you, most of us glass over that whole passage of scripture. Because we don't want to admit that when we go before the father, that I'm angry at someone, that I got some resentment, that I've got some, I'm harboring some feelings, I'm harboring some unforgiveness towards person. And God makes it pretty, pretty clear, makes it plain to me and says, you know what, if you don't get this right before me, how can I forgive you? How can I forgive you? I know it's a heavy word. It's heavy. In your pamphlet, the, the next section is this, that we need three steps of forgiveness, three steps of forgiveness. And before I get to that, I want to say one other thing regarding forgiving people. The Holy Spirit said to me um, on Friday, he said, Charlie, your inability to forgive is your failure to let go of your pride. Your inability to forgive is your failure to let go of your pride. And I want to tell you that that was an ouch moment for me because I realized this, that one of the greatest obstacles in my life or the greatest obstacles of forgiveness is our own pride. We don't forgive because I don't want to. We don't forgive because I don't think I should. We don't forgive because, you know what, I'm bigger than that. I don't forgive because, you know what, it's, it's, it wasn't my fault. And God is saying, listen to me, it's not about your fault, it's about my grace. It's not about your fault. It's about my image in you. See, if you begin to see people that, and realize that, that they bear the image of God, you'd be quicker to forgive. Just saying. Number three, three steps of forgiveness. Number one, reveal my hurt. Reveal my hurt. Um, I wasn't always this way, but I'm pretty transparent. Like I don't, you know. Like, I'm, I'm not afraid to show my feelings. I'm a, I'm a sensitive guy. <laughs> I am. My wife appreciates that. Um, get my feelings hurt real easy. You know, I'll cry at Disney movies if no one else is around. Um, but reveal my hurt. And sometimes this is so difficult for people, depending on the level and the degree of the hurt, which is understandable. And God understands that. But I want to I wanna share with you just a very uh, a, a powerful demonstration of these three steps and it's found in the life of Joseph. How many of you guys remember Joseph? You know his story, right? He's the, he's the youngest of the 12 boys and, and uh, he's the favorite son of Jacob. And, all, and that right there already has the makings of a total dysfunctional family. 
And so he's the favorite son of the 12. And not only that, and not only does, is he the favorite, but, but the father decides, hey, I'm going to show you that you're my favorite. I'm going to give you a gift. And so the father gives him a gift and leaves the other brothers out in the cold. And all of, all of a sudden, the other brothers are like, hey, this is not cool. You know, that, you know, he's gifted and we're not. And the problem with that is that um, most of us don't realize we're always looking at the gift on someone else and not realizing the gift that God has deposited in you. And so what... Jacob's, what Joseph's brother didn't realize is that, listen, they, they were going to be the, the, the foundations of the 12 tribes of Israel. So they were gifted. They were called. But as if that wasn't enough, uh, Joseph not only had, you know, a natural gift, but he had a spiritual gift. He had the ability to interpret dreams. Very cool gift. Um, unless you're the one on the recipient of that dream. And so Joseph says, hey, guys, I want to tell you about this dream. Tells his brothers, uh, man, I saw these sheaves of wheat, and all of them bowed down before my sheaf of wheat. And they're like, say what? what? You know what? Hey, are you, you're, we're going to bow. We're going to worship you? And he goes, yeah, you know, and so they're, they're mad. And then he goes to his father and mother. And he says, listen, I got another dream. This, this time the sun and the moon and all the stars, they bow down. And then the son and the father's like, wait, we're going to bow down and worship you? You're crazy. So all this is happening in this, in this, in this home, this, in, this, in this worship, this godly family that we see here. And one day Joseph is out, and he's looking for his brothers, and his brothers seem afar off, and they're like, hey, remember all that stuff Joseph said? Yeah, man, we got to get rid of this guy. And so, hello. Um, we have to get rid of this guy. And so what happens is that they, they, plot, to murder, they plot to murder him, but Reuben steps and says, wait, don't, don't murder him. Let's throw him in the pit. And Reuben's intention was, hey, when, after his brothers leave, I'll come back and I'll rescue him. While Reuben's away, what happens? He gets sold into slavery. Joseph is 17 years old at this time, and he gets sold into slavery. Goes to Egypt. Spends about two years. Two years. Goes into, goes into Egypt for 11 years. He's in Potiphar's house. And about at the end of those 11 years, Potiphar's, uh, Potiphar's wife seems to, starts to give him eyes, and, and she's like, yeah, you want to get with this? And he's like, no. And he runs, right? And he runs, and what happens? He gets accused of rape or whatever, a mis- inappropriate relationship with, with Potiphar's wife. And then he lands in prison, and he's there for two years. But the Bible says continue that the Spirit of the Lord is with him. So you can be a place of prison, and the presence of God still be with you. And so he's there, and, and all the while, God is giving him favor, and then all of a sudden, here comes the cupbearer, you know, um, the baker. They're thrown into prison by Pharaoh because something that they didn't do. And all of a sudden, they have the, both of them have dreams. And, 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 and Joseph ends up, he ends up um, interpreting these dreams. And in the dreams, he, he interprets the, the baker's dream, and he interprets the cupbearer's dream. And, and all of a sudden, the cupbearer gets called, and his dream is interpreted, and it goes well with him, and he's reinstated in the palace. But the baker isn't as fortunate. He ends up losing his life according to the interpretation. So two years, Joseph is there. And one day, Pharaoh has a dream. He has a dream of seven wonderful cows and seven terrible cows, seven wonderful years of corn and seven, seven terrible years of corn. And, and so he wants the interpretation. And so the cover is like, hey, I know a guy. And so Joseph comes and, and he interprets the dream. And as a result, in one night, Joseph becomes second in command of all of Egypt. 30 years old, Joseph becomes governor of Egypt. And this is where we pick up the story in Genesis 45. 39 years has passed by since Joseph has seen his brothers, those who wounded him, those who had thrown him out, those who had discarded him, those who had forgotten about him, those who had lied about him, those who had done all sorts of things. Joseph had some serious bitterness and unforgiveness going on in his own life. And in Genesis 45, when he 
This is the second time that he sees his brothers. His brothers come from, come, come from the land, go into Egypt because they need grain because the famine had hit. And this is what Joseph says to his brothers in Genesis 45, verse 4 and 5. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. He reveals his heart. It's me. I'm the guy, the one that you sold, the one that you gave away. And verse 5, it says, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. It is in this moment of Joseph's life that he takes the opportunity to reveal his hurt. Listen, one of the steps of forgiveness is revealing your hurt. And we don't necessarily always want to do that. But I want to tell you there's great healing and there's great power in the revealing of the hurt that you've experienced in your life. And what we need to realize is that Joseph's brothers didn't even realize that who he was. They didn't know that he had hurt them. And there are those in this house this morning that you have people that have hurt you and they don't even realize it. And there are people in your life that have hurt you and they know. Number two is this. We need to release our offender or my offender. We need to release my offender. In the same story, Joseph is speaking to his brothers again in verses 7 and 8. It says, and God sent me before you to preserve you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Verse 8. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. In that moment when, when he confesses those things to his brothers, something is happening supernaturally. He's releasing them, saying, listen, I don't hold you responsible anymore for my hurt, for my, hurt, for my pain, for my habit, my hang-up. I don't hold you into captivity anymore. I've, I've realized that God has been working in me all along. Listen, this act of forgiveness by Joseph towards his brothers is the game changer for his life. And it's interesting that Joseph didn't wait for his brothers to say, hey, Joseph, we're so sorry. No, Joseph took the, took the initiative and said, listen, I want to tell you this morning that I'm releasing you. I'm forgiving you of all those things that happened in my life. I've disclosed everything to you to let you know I'm setting you free. In so doing, I'm being set free myself. James 5.16 says this in the Amplified Translation. Therefore, confess your sins one to another, your false steps, your offenses. And pray for one another that you may be healed and restored. The heartfelt, persistent prayer of a righteous man, believer, can accomplish much when put into action and made effective by God. It is dynamic and have tremendous power. Listen, the confession of your sin, the confession of your hurt has great healing properties when it's matched with the spirit of the living God and the word of God. It will completely set you free and it will set those around you free. Number three, I need to replace my hurt with God's peace. I need to replace my hurt with God's peace. When we make the choice, beloved, to let go of our hurt, what we do is we've now positioned ourselves to allow the peace of Christ to rule in our heart, according to Colossians 3.15. When we, when we say, God, I, I'm, I'm letting go of this, and I'm receiving your grace, I'm receiving your peace, in that moment, you've now transitioned from a place of captivity into a place of freedom. You now have the peace of God that transcends all understanding guarding your heart and mind. But I want to go one step further with that. When you allow God's peace 
to rule in your life, listen to this, it produces a clarity about the tragedies that have happened to you. And all of a sudden you come into this understanding that God was in it all along. That God was still moving, that God was still doing, that God was still praying, that God was still loving, and God was still moving on your behalf in that moment of crisis. Here's what I mean by that. Genesis 50 verses 19 and 20. Joseph speaking again. He says, but Joseph said to him, this is time he's speaking to his, his father and all of his sons. He says, do not fear, for I am in the place of God. As for you, you meant, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Come on, in that moment, Joseph had the revelation, he had the reality check. That, that he understood this thing about God's character. That it might have meant, meant for evil, but God is going to use it for my good. And what he learned was that, that God was there. He says, you know, I'm here. I'm in it with you. Not only am I in it with you, but I'm working on your half before you. I'm doing something, Joseph. I want you to understand that, beloved, this morning, you and I need to understand this. God doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste your tears, and he doesn't waste your sorrows. He doesn't waste your time, and he doesn't waste your talents. He doesn't waste anything. He's doing something new. And I want you to grasp that reality this morning. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're walking through, whatever you're facing or whatever is facing you this morning I want to tell you I'm here to serve you notice this morning that God is moving he's praying for you he's not sitting by idly he's moving mountains he's making rough places smooth he's making crooked paths straight he's mending hearts and he's doing all things new in your life that's what he does when we say God I expect your peace in my life I accept your peace why because it's his nature listen beloved he cannot help himself to minister and to touch you and to move in your life. Romans 8, 28 says this, and we know this. This is like a staple verse for all of us. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things. Somebody say all things. Not just those things. Not just these things. Not the big things and not just the small things. All things. Anything. Work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, let me tell you something. Forgiveness is a part. Thanks for your support. Harvest Valley Church in Pleasanton has a passion to teach and equip people from various journeys of life through the love and grace of Jesus. If you want to connect with us, join us online at harvestvalley.org or on our Facebook page. Thanks for stopping by.